Uh, I already prayed, so we're just going to get right into this message. And so tonight, Jesus is going to, this is a story about where Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish and he feeds thousands. So this is an amazing story that we're going to look at tonight. You know, I was reading in Ripley's Believe It or Not, it, tell, there, it tells of a man named Craig Dawson who has an unusual habit uh, while he jogs, he keeps his eyes on the ground. Now, and it's not—it's not for like balance or like he's shame or anything like that. Uh, it's not for maybe safety. Maybe he's thinking of that. But no, when he jogs every day, he looks for spare change on the ground. So, because of the way he runs during the past 25 years, Dawson has found a total of eight thousand one hundred dollars can you believe that i mean uh, next time you jog maybe you gotta keep keep your eyes on the ground there i think that's that's amazing he's found lost coins just little coins and it added up to all that money just that daily collection of these little coins resulted in much money well i say that because that's what jesus does that's exactly what he does and that's what we have here in our passage tonight we find that little is much with god and that's the title of our message little is much with god we're going to be studying luke chapter 9 from verse 10 through 17 and we're going to see three things the intermission the interruption and the intervention and i know we don't have our screens up uh, maybe online you guys get it but i will give those uh, headings to you as we go. So number one, the intermission, the intermission. And we're going to be looking at verse 10 here, just verse 10 in under the intermission. So take a look with me here. Luke 9 verse 10, it says, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida, Bethsaida. All right, so we'll stop there, and we begin now how the 12 disciples, they came back and they told Jesus everything that had happened on their training mission. You remember, that's what we saw last time. We called the message First Steps. They took their first training mission going out. Jesus empowered them. They're able to share the gospel, do healings, cast out demons. They went out and shared the good news of Jesus. And so this was like their mission, their training mission as Jesus was discipling them and, and bringing, raising them up to one day be those uh, uh, apostles, really, to continue on in the work. Now, that's it's interesting now. They return, and they're just testifying to all that God done. And notice that Luke even calls them the apostles here. On their return, the apostles told them what all they had done. Not disciples, but apostles. Now, the word apostles in the original language means sent out ones. It means messengers. So they were that. They were the sent out ones. They were the messengers. Later on, the word apostle became a title for the disciples because they were chosen to continue on in this work. And that's what they're training uh, to do. They went on to be the apostles to, to, to carry on the work, to lead the church, the first church, the early church that started, and they were the heads of that. So that was a title for these 12, and only back then, our apostles, because they were the, the ones who were the next ones who took on the work after Jesus ascended into heaven. So 
The apostles tell him what's going on. And then Jesus now, he took them, he withdrew. He went away from the crowds. He withdrew from all the people and ministry going on. He withdrew, withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And I remember in Israel, I think we went there, we visited there. There's a little museum. But here in this town, on the outskirts, actually they went because they withdrew in this area. Sort of like a, a, a retreat. Sort of like... Um, uh, you know, getting away and, and just getting some rest. And this was on the northeast side of the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus knew now, after their little mission that they went out, that they needed some rest and recuperation after this, this mission trip. Remember what the, the, the fourth commandment is? Exodus 20, you know, in the Ten Commandments. You know what number four is? Number four is remember the Sabbath day. Right for it's holy. God set that apart, and and so it's important that we have a Sabbath day, a day of rest, not only to worship God and to spend time, but also for recuperation. It's we we need a break from work. We need a break from ministry. We need to rest, and so. Uh, actually, in a parallel passage in Mark chapter 6, Jesus told him in, in Mark 6.31, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. So this is really what Jesus is doing. He withdrew, pulling them away, go, go down to Bethsaida, Bethsaida and into this out, uh, out in the countryside to just get some rest from ministry, from the mission, from all that they did, and from all the crowds and, and the needs that were going on. So we see here, first of all, it is so important to take the intermission from ministry. That's what I'm calling it. For a time of physical and spiritual recharge. That's important. We need that rest. We need the recharge. We need that, that recuperation and renewal, both physically and from, from just spiritually, like giving, giving. We, we just got to stop and have some rest. Vance Habner once said, if you don't come apart and rest, you will come apart. I like that. Uh, have you maybe been neglecting that Sabbath rest have you been neglecting getting away i think as we're reading here that's something we could all think about that sometimes we're always on the go on the go on the go on the go but we're never really taking that that time to just recuperate the time to rest from your busyness from work from ministry whatever that is we need to have our time a sabbath rest i came across this poem in a comment one of the commentaries and and they had in here mary had a little lamb Twas give her, uh, twas give, twas given her to keep, but then it joined a local church and died for lack of sleep. So a different kind of nursery rhyme there. Here, Riley, here's a nursery rhyme for you. <laughs> now, you know, for me, I I like I like going to the beach. You know, that's a good time of rest for me. I like uh, maybe sitting and reading, or, or I like just being with my wife. You know, <laughs> or we, sometimes we watch a movie. You know that. That distracts my mind from all the stuff going on, you know, in my head sometimes. And that could, you know, be this continual stress and worry and, and all that. But, but we all need to find that 
what that Sabbath rest is for you. You know, some some people it's going going on a run. To me, that's tiring. But maybe for you, that that's something. Well, it gives you a break from everything, right? Maybe you like workout. That's your Sabbath. Whatever that is, you find it. You know, and you take that time from ministry, from working, from everything to just recharge. You know, go before the Lord, and certainly on Sunday, come church. You know, <laughs> that's kind of our like our, our quote unquote Sabbath day. But you know, a time to give over to the Lord. So whether your calling, you know, is serving God in church or work, work somewhere in your career that God has called you to and be a witness at, whatever ministry, or even maybe I was thinking even being a mother, yeah, that can be taxing too. You, you need to break some time, you know, get some rest. Just make sure no matter what that is to get some rest for, you know what, a little rest can do much for you. So let's go on to the interruption now. We've seen the intermission that Jesus gave the disciples from ministry. And now we go to the interruption. And this is verse 11. Verse 11, take a look here. It says, When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. We'll stop there. Now the crowds of people found out where Jesus was. Matter of fact, they actually followed him when the crowds learned it they learned that jesus was going away now mark 6 tells us in the parallel passage that the crowds followed in the boat jesus got back in the boat to get away from the crowd to to go to the northeast shore they're on the north shore so they got in a boat go to the northeast shore to bethsaida and then there they got off the boat and they went and found a, a remote place a deserted place to where they can rest well the crowd saw them the crowds found out where they're going they followed them they could probably see the boat and they're running along shore wondering where where they're going, they're probably guessing where, where they're going to head in. And they ran ahead, actually. And they, they actually went ahead. And by the time the disciples and Jesus landed on shore, the crowd was right there. So can you imagine? Can, can you imagine like, okay, guys, we're going to go get some rest. Oh, thank you, Jesus. We need some rest. And these guys may be sailing, rowing a little bit. All right, we're looking forward for that break time. And then they reach reached the shore there and uh, uh, over there on the other side like oh my gosh look at all the people they're back you know <laughs> they're, they're back again there but notice what Luke writes here and he welcomed them and he spoke to them he preached to them he healed he continued doing ministry it doesn't say Jesus said get out of here you know, so, sorry, we're closed, you know, put the closed sign up and no more, no more ministry right now. Hey, 95, that's it. Ooh, sorry, you know, hang up the phone, you know, more, no more calls, no more nothing. No, even though they actually had something else to do, even though they had other plans to get away and get rest, Jesus still stopped to help the people. And I love his heart there, right? J.C. Ryle wrote, the ear... Uh, his ear, I'm sorry, was always ready to hear, his hand to work, and his tongue to preach. None that came to him were ever cast out. And I, I love that. You know, that touched me so much when I read that because I come to God a lot. And I'm glad he's, he doesn't put a work clothes sign, you know. I'm glad he doesn't have certain hours, you know. But I can come to him any time and sometimes I'm desperate for him and I need him so much. I'm glad he's always there and he always welcomes me no matter what's going on so we see jesus is never bothered by unexpected interruptions here's the interruption but it didn't bother him he welcomed them jesus is never bothered by unexpected 
interruptions. You know, I read about this heavily booked flight um, out of Denver, Colorado, but it was canceled. And so you could imagine the chaos. I mean, pre-COVID days when the airport was super busy, right? Um, and at the at the desk, there was only one single agent trying to rebook a long line of inconvenience travelers. They are angry. They're upset. They are frustrated. Suddenly, this super angry passenger pushed pushed his way to the front of the line, slapped down his ticket on the counter, and says, "I have to be on this flight, and it has to be first class." He insisted. Well, the agent calmly replied and said, I'm sorry, sir, I'll be happy to help you, but I have to take care of all these folks that were in front of you. And the man, he just kept pushing and he said, do you have any idea who I am? And he, he demanded this loud voice, right, for everyone to hear. Well, without hesitating, the agent just smiled, picked up her her microphone for the PA, the public address system there. And she turns it on and she says, may I have your attention, please, everyone? Uh, we have a passenger here at the gate who does not know who he is. If anyone can help him find his identity, please come to the gate. <laughs> and with that, the man was embarrassed and, and he walked back to the end of the line and everyone was laughing. Well, I'm so glad that Whenever we're frustrated, angry, when we need God, that God doesn't embarrass us, that God doesn't push us away, right? I'm glad he's not like that. Well, it, you know, if we approach him and, and it's like, this is the wrong time to do it. If we inconvenience him, God doesn't say, come back another time or anything like that. We never bother God and we're always welcomed by Jesus. So, so that's the Lord. But you know what? Think about the Lord now. Think about Jesus here. So it should be with our lives. Think about that. You know, there's a balance between serving and resting. There is. There's a balance there. And, and you know, for me, I mean, sometimes in the middle of studying, I get a call. Sometimes I, um, I am resting, I get a call. I'll pick it up. It's not always. It's not all the time. And, and you know what? I look at it. Well, look, Lord, my life is yours. You purchased me by your blood. My life doesn't belong to me. And so I, I balance it. You know, I balance that out. It's not my own. So, and it's not about my, in, you know, my convenience or my inconvenience anymore because my life is for Jesus. You know, my life is about doing God's plan, his will, in his way. And so we got to see how what Jesus did here. We got to see that unexpected interruptions is God's given opportunities, really. Or maybe we can say disappointments are God's appointments. Yeah. And so we got to keep open to the Lord that no matter what. And and you know what? I I I have my phone on everything, but you know, God seems to balance it out for me. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah, I get calls, but most of the time I don't. And God seems to balance all of that out. And he takes care of those rest times as I'm in the middle of rest. So we see in the intermission, the interruption, and now number three, our last heading in our Longest part is the intervention, the intervention. Now, we're going to be covering verses 12 through 17, the rest of our section. But for this first part, we're going to go from verse 12 to the first part 
verse 14. So, beginning with verse 12, Luke 9, it says, Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. Verse 14, for there were about 5,000 men. And we'll stop right there. So as the day went on, they were doing ministry. Jesus is preaching, healing, the disciples assisting him, attending to people, helping them there, help to Jesus, uh, ushering them out, new people coming in, whatever that was, you know, and attending. The day wore on and it came to the point of the late afternoon really and the disciples came to jesus said you know it's it's dinner time it's gonna be dinner time soon you know what's better is is you send a crowd away away so that they can get their own provisions that they can go to the villages maybe beside over there other villages and then they could find lodging you know and, and we'll we'll do ministry again tomorrow they can find dinner provisions for them and there's nothing here you know, they're just going to starve here because we're out in the countryside, out in that des- desolate place. So, hey, Jesus, maybe maybe send them away at this point. And perhaps, you know, at this time too, late afternoon, all this, all this going on, they came back from the mission trip, everything. Perhaps maybe they were tired. You know, perhaps they're in, they're in that place, you know, where like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done already. I, I, I got to go home. You know, that's it. And they, they just wanted to relax themselves and, 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 and you know, kind of wind down from the day and get some rest. And, you know, send them away and we'll, we'll, we'll do, do this again tomorrow. So here's the disciples talking to Jesus about to send them there. But then surprisingly, in verse 13, Jesus tells them, you give them something to eat. Now, that's surprising because they really didn't have too much, yeah? But uh, they didn't have much. In John chapter 6, verse 9, Andrew, when this happened in a parallel passage, he went and found a boy who happened to have five loaves and two fish. I don't know if it was his lunch for him and some friends or whatever, you know? But so they're like, uh, well, Jesus, we... we I could, we could only find five loaves and two fish. I mean, that, that's not enough food here. In John chapter 6, Philip now, he tells Jesus, he says, you know what, we, we only have 200 denarii. That, that, that's what our, our tithes are right now. That, that, that's all we have. And 200 denarii um, um, uh, what was um, not enough. I mean, I, I think he said we need 200 denarii, like... Eight hundred eight months of wages. I'm sorry, say that, but we don't have any money. We'll need like eight months of wages to feed all this money to. I, I mean, to feed all these people to buy food. That's what we'll need. That's what Philip was saying in John six. Well, why were they stressing here? Why were they not able to feed the people? Well, we find out in verse fourteen. The reason is there were about five thousand men. And so you have to understand in the ancient times when they number people, they only count the guys. It's just 
the way they did it back then. They didn't count the women and children. So commentators, if you, if you count in the women and children that were most likely there, they speculate there was probably anywhere from 10,000 people to 20,000 people. I mean, that's crazy. Some commentators even push it up to 25,000 people. So that's crazy, right? So no wonder the disciples like, uh, Jesus, five loaves, two fish? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah. Philip's like, oh, this will take 200 denarii. We, we, we have hardly anything, you know. Um, that's eight months' wages. We don't have that kind of money to feed everybody. But Jesus is saying, you, you give, give them. And they're, they're probably scratching their heads like, wait, how does this work? Five, no money, not enough money. We can't go buy something. Five loaves, two fish. And what? We, we give that? What? But Jesus is testing them. Jesus is really going to show them a miracle. Really, this is another opportunity. It's not some inconvenience here. But God loves to intervene in impossible situations. This is the intervention. God comes in, you guys, when, when it seems impossible, when it seems like crazy, when it seems like, I don't know how this is going to work. I, I only got this little. What, how's this all going to work? But God comes in and intervenes, and he has a plan. He has a solution, and he loves these impossible situations, and he'll come with an intervention. Author and pastor Armin uh, Gesswin wrote this, When God is about to do something great, he starts with a difficulty. When he is about to do something truly magnificent, he starts with an impossibility. Don't you love that? I like that. That's what, what God likes to do. He comes with his intervention, and he can change what's impossible to the possible. And that's what we see. Let's go on here. Verse 14, after we see it's 5,000 men, which is really 10 to 20,000 people total. He said, Jesus said to his disciples, verse 14, have them sit down in groups about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down verse 15 then verse 16 and taking the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd and they all ate and were satisfied and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces or leftovers there so Interesting thing. Jesus instructs in the disciples. They're like, well, I don't know. What can we do? I don't know. How can, how can we feed everyone? So Jesus is like, well, here. This is what you guys got to do. Step one, uh, have everybody sit down in groups of 50. So all the people sat down in groups, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, blah, blah, blah. Disciples are arranging everybody here. We're, we're a family here. Okay, you guys stay here, you know. And they're all in groups of 50. Now, why was it groups of 50? You want to know why? I don't know. <laughs> we don't know exactly. Uh, perhaps, though, and, and I, I think this might be a reason, perhaps it was easier to distribute the food, right? I mean, think about 10,000, 20,000 people all in a line trying to grab food and everything. No, it was easier that disciples went to them, right, and handed it out in an orderly way. I mean, imagine 10, 20,000 people pushing, shoving, oh, I want to, you know, and grabbing. I think this kept things in an orderly way. I, at least it, 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 it makes sense to me in that way. So it could, that could be the reason. We don't know exactly. In Mark chapter 6, it's, it says that they sat 
Jesus said, sit them down, and they sat down on the green grass. And I like that picture, too, coming into mind. Where they were at, it was nice and green. It was a nice countryside. You know what? They're having a nice picnic dinner there, right? Picnic sunset dinner that Jesus was going to do for them. So Jesus... Then he gave thanks here. Basically, he gave, he said grace, right? For uh, taking a five O's, two fish. He looked up to heaven, said a blessing. God blessed his food, said grace, basically. And then he broke the loaves. And then he also took the, sh- the fish and gave it to the disciples to s- set before the crowd. So they began to hand out the, the bread and the fish. And then did they run out? No, because it says in verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied. Isn't that amazing? That meant the bread kept appearing. That meant the fish kept appearing. And in the end, everyone ate and were satisfied. In other words, they got, it. They got all that they wanted. Yeah. Some people only eat a little. Some people eat a lot. It's okay. You can eat a little or you can eat a lot. And everyone was satisfied, was happy. Those who ate a lot, they were super satisfied. Those who ate a little, they were fine. Everyone was good here. So amazing. Five loaves, right? Two fish fed 10,000 to 20,000 people. Amazing. This was a miracle right here that happened in front of the eyes of the people and the disciples themselves. And then in the end, in verse 17, and what was left over? There was even leftovers. Isn't that crazy? It was picked up 12 baskets of leftovers of the broken pieces, the broken, the bread that was broken, um, and the fish. 12 baskets. I don't know why there's 12. Someone said, well, maybe it was for uh, uh, the 12 disciples. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe they went and ate their, their meal there. I don't know. Um, it could have been that, you know, but it was leftovers for uh, uh, maybe the next day even. But whatever, there was more than enough food and even more so perhaps for the disciples. Either way, God did this huge, huge miracle. And do you see now? Jesus can take a little, and multiply it into much. That's our title. Little is much with God. Jesus can take a little and multiply it too much. That's what he does. That's what we even see in the Bible. Jesus took a little baby's cry, moved the heart of Pharaoh's daughter, and rescued the baby. Who was that? Moses, you remember? And, and, and then God used Moses to lead and deliver the nation of Israel. Yeah? That was all a part of his plan. We see how God could take even one teenage boy with just a sling and a stone and take down who? Goliath, right? David. He was just a teenager there. Just a, just a, a, a teenage boy. And he took down this hardened uh, soldier, battle, you know, experience and everything. And here we see, really, we we find from the other gospel that one boy, right, offered what? Just five loaves and two fish to feed 10,000, 20,000 people. Isn't that amazing? So certainly little is much in the hands of God. Jesus took the bread. Jesus took the fish and handed that out. You may be asking, so what do I do 
You know, what, what do I do? How, how do I really uh, live in this way to see God doing those things? Well, I want to give you a couple things. Number one, start with what you have. Whatever you have. The boy just had five. Oh, here you go. Here's five. That's all I have. Start with what you have. Whatever you have, it may seem tiny. It may, it, it may seem like, how is this going to help compared to the whole need? But that's okay. That's where you start. That's where the boy started. This is where the disciples started. Jesus, this is all we have. So you start with what you have. And then you take that and you give what you have to God. Number two is give what you have to God. Number one is start with what you have. And number two, give what you have to God. That's what they did. They gave it to Jesus. They put it in his hands. And then we saw that God will then give it back in a different way. He'll do more with what you give him. And that's the key. It's not so much how much you have or how little you have. The key is to put it into his hands. And then when he gives it back, oh, it's, it's, it, it's going to be incredible. That's the miracle there. In his book on being a servant by Warren Wiersbe, he wrote this in relating to this story. He said, the trouble with too many of us is that we think God called us to be manufacturers when he really called us to be distributors. <laughs> Isn't that good? I love that. He went on to say, the multiplication took place in his hands. The distribution was the work of the disciples' hands. I love that. That gives me so much hope because I always feel like I don't have too much to give. You know, Lord, who am I? What, what, what can I do? Right. But when we place ourselves in God's hand, he's the one who can help us. When we place what little gifts maybe we have or, or, or even if sometimes I think, I don't know if I have a gift, but what I have, Lord, here it is. I give it to you. And he returns it in, in, with a miracle. He multiplies it. I'm just a distributor. Dis distributor. I'm not the manufacturer. So start with what you have. Give what you have to God. And number three, see how God takes your little and do much. And basically that's what we are seeing here, right? That remember this. It's really a reminder, number three, little is much in the hands of God. Just because something seems small doesn't mean it can't do much and and that's what you got to see that's what you got to believe yeah that god can take your little and do much you know I, I was thinking about this like 20 years ago say no one would believe that you can put a computer inside a tablet no one would believe that what this this little thing right i think it was back what Stephen, in the 50s 60s a computer was the whole room, right? Was a whole room. And then, then we had these desktop computers. But what? In a, in a tablet, a tablet size, right? That you can use your fingers, right? To, today's what we call tablets isn't paper. You know, and, oh, I have my tablet. It isn't, uh, you know, a pad of paper. But it's this electronic device. A powerful computer is right here. No, no one would believe it. And think about even, right? Our phones, think about our, our phones, even smaller. These are powerful computers that 20 years ago, no, no one would think, what, that little thing can do all that? It's amazing how a little thing can do much. 
Many made a comment, um, made the comment when Steve Jobs passed, one of the founders of Apple, and that they said that he always said and he always taught, think outside the box. And as a result, that's what we, we have these devices, we have these cell phones, we have a, a iPads, and you know, that's what Apple produces. Imagine the disciples, though. I think they weren't thinking outside the box. I think they limited God, right? I mean, it's kind of interesting, again, for me, thinking about how they saw Jesus heal people, right? Right in front of them, right? They, they saw Jesus, right? They experienced it. They were in the boat when Jesus, remember, calmed the storm, right? Controlled the elements and all. They saw Jesus cast out legion, right? The, the, the thousands of demons inside that one man, and then he was free. They saw all of that. They saw, remember when they came back, uh, Jesus raised the Jairus' daughter from the dead, right? Or the synagogue ruler, right? From the dead, right? They saw that. Yet, that was all that they believed that God could do. And they drew a line around God and put him in that box. And how many times have we done that? How many times have we put God in a box and we don't think outside a box? Oh, that's impossible. What? Put a computer inside some thin little piece of glass? What? No way. That's not possible. Sometimes we think that. We, we think that. Oh, no way. But we have to start thinking outside of the box. Maybe outside of the box that we drew around God. Yeah, some things we really believe, oh yeah, he can do this. Oh yeah, he can do that. But then we, we limit God to those things and not these other things or situations that we're facing. And so these disciples, they saw only this much food and this many people. How are we going to do that? Jesus, we, we don't have enough money and we only have this much food. That's, that's never going to happen. They put Jesus in a box at that moment. But Jesus broke that box by performing this miracle right in front of, of, of them, right? As we close up, how many times maybe we've told God, Ah, oh, Lord, how, how can you really use me? Lord, I, I can't do that, God. Lord, you're, you're asking me to, to be this or to, to live a life. I, I don't know if I can do that. How, how can I be a good husband or how can I be a good wife? How, how can I, I share Jesus with someone? Or um, uh, That's not me. That's for others. I can't. God, how can you do that? I'm no one. I have nothing to offer. You know what? It doesn't matter what we think. What matters about ourselves, it matters about what God thinks and what God can do. The impossible is accomplished when the little is put into God's hands. You feel little? You feel like nothing? Well, put yourself into God's hands. Jump in his hands and let's see what God can do. I'll close with this. In 1930, a man working at a service station had an idea even though he, uh, he only had a, up, to a, up to a sixth grade education, the one little thing that his mother taught him was to cook. So he put together a complete chicken meal for travelers stopping by the service station. 
He also um, offered, he kind of kind of marketed this. He offered a busy uh, time strap families a chicken meal calling at Sunday dinner seven times a week. So he, that was the only thing he could, he could do well. And so he, he did that. Well, it caught, caught on. Soon his chicken meals became extremely, extremely popular. He had to move across the street, open up a restaurant that all that just just blossomed and just exploded. And then the man multiplied his efforts and created a franchise of over 600 restaurants over the country. And later he sold them for millions and millions of dollars. Can you guess who this is? The man. Who? Yep. The man is Harlan Sanders, otherwise known as Colonel Sanders, KFC, right? Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's all he knew to do. But that little grew into much. And so I, I want to close with that because I want to put in your minds even more that God can take your little efforts and turn them into big things. For little is much with God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, God, that speaks to us, Lord, and shows us that, Lord, you're amazing, God. You can do them possible. And, Lord, as we end the service and as we are about to worship you, Jesus, help us to see these things, God. Help us to understand that it's not us, but it's you. That when we look at how impossible it is, with what little we have, it's not about that, God. It's about how possible it is because little is much in your hands. So, Lord, we give you our situations, God. We feel like we have little strength, but, God, you have great strength. Lord, we give you, Lord, ourselves where we feel like we can't do the right thing, but, Jesus, you give us the power of your resurrection. Lord, we we think that we have little to offer you in service in the kingdom. But you say, just start with what you have and put it into my hands. And so, God, we place ourselves into your hands because we are not great. We don't have a lot. But, God, with you, you can do the impossible and use this in great ways. Lord, we may have struggles financially, Lord, or, or struggle, but Lord, you can multiply the provisions. Some way, somehow, God, you do that. I've seen it in, in my life. And God, I pray for anyone tonight that is struggling, whatever area, whatever it is, feeling like they are nothing or have hardly anything, God, that you would do a miracle tonight and multiply, God, their five loaves and two fish. So, Lord, we, we give what little we have to you tonight. And thank you, God, that no matter what, you are working, Lord. So open our eyes to that, God. And so, Lord, thank you for your, the goodness, Lord, that you give us. And thank you that there is future goodness and great things that you are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. <laughs>